0: Welcome to playoff time, balling in the six. It has been so long since the Raptors lifted that magic trophy and balling in the six is going to bring you their title defense as well as covering every other team every step of the way. We're going to do 20, 25 minute review after games one, three, five and seven, if needed, of every single playoff round. So make sure you subscribe, give us five stars. And tune in every four days for a pulsating experience. Toronto continued their defence with a 134 110 win over the Brooklyn Nets. It included 30 points from Fed Randry, including a record eight threes. It actually had shades of his performance in Game 5 against the Bucks last season scored seven threes to give the Raptors a crucial win in the ECF. Um, This was actually the Raptors' well, franchise record for points in a playoff game, and with 22 total threes, the franchise record for most threes made in a game. Now, throughout, the Nets obviously don't have Durant, Kyrie, or even Spencer Dingley. Should we be looking too deep into this Raptors' victory uh, over what someone call a bum team? In a, a broken Brooklyn
1: Yeah, great question, Kamel. I think I said before going into these playoffs, I saw this next team as actually the worst team in the entire uh, Eastern and Western conferences of the teams that had been invited. I actually saw them as worse than this Wizards team just because of all the injuries they had and really having to rely on Karis LeVert for the most part. But what I would say from this game, Kamel it was we saw in the first half. The Toronto Raptors essentially completely blow out this team, and it was actually in the quarter that they, sorry, in the third quarter that they made things slightly interesting. So um, perhaps that brief stretch of play that they had during that period, maybe if they could replicate that over forty-eight minutes, perhaps this team isn't going to get as easily as swept as I
0: thought before watching this game. Well, personally, I see it as this would lead to nothing in the street now, because except for that third quarter, which the Raptors always a bit iffy, and of course, which Nick Nurse wasn't happy with after. It was, as you mm. said, complete dominance. And it took really, especially... Uh, he scored 26 points, and I think six or seven threes in that. And of course, Karras LeVert and LeBron-esque performance, 15 points, seven rebounds, and 15 assists. Um, It took that to even get within 24 of the Raptors. So I see this as nothing but a sweep. And in fact, we have game two right after this podcast is going to drop. And I think I'll be proven fully right in that aspect. Um, In terms of the Raptors, I didn't think Yakan had his strongest games. He went 18-11, so the double-double might cover up uh, some of what the eye test saw in that game. But I would hope that he's just warming up because really it took... An excellent performance from Fred Van Vliet to stem that sort of third quarter tide from the Nets and really get the Raptors to take back control. Regardless, uh, I see no prospect for the Nets win. And to be fair, not their fault. Right, well, uh, the next game, a very interesting game last night, was the Lakers versus the Trailblazers. And uh, Blazers, of course, going 6-2 and two in the bubble before winning. Uh, they're playing against the Memphis Grizzlies. And suddenly they go and beat a Lakers side expected to sweep them. This was supposed to be, of course, the Lakers' best chance of a championship this year. With likes of LeBron and AD all in their prime. They've got a brilliant bunch of shooters around them. Albeit they have played very weakly the bubble. They've been last in a lot of different team statistics in the bubble. But should the Lakers be worried? It's a seven-game, best-of-seven series. Should they be worried?
1: Yes, absolutely, they should be worried. I think going into this series as well, a lot of analysts have this going six or seven games to the Lakers because they've seen how dangerous this Blazers team has looked. Damon Liddell, of course, has got a fire lit after him, especially after that Clippers game and the comments uh, back and forth on Twitter. But if we just look at the matchups, Kamel, that basically tells us the whole story. Because it's essentially can be boiled down to a game of guards versus forwards because you simply don't have anyone to match Lillard and McCollum for the Lakers. You've got arguably two of their best guards, or at least two of their best three or four guards out injured. Of course, you've got Rondo and Avery Bradley not in the bubble. and So when you've got Danny Green, who of course he's a solid starter, but he is not going to score the kind of points or part of the kind of points littered and McCullum are. So in the guard category, you're very much lacking if you're the Lakers, you've even got Gary Trent adding a much needed depth in that position as well. And so the Lakers simply can't keep up there. And then you have Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. Um, however, really you want to cut that. Um, and, You've got them against Nurkic and Hassan Whiteside. We saw at times, we saw Davis and, say, McGee against uh, both Nurkic and Whiteside out there on the floor. And interestingly, you'd think that would be a smash and grab by the Lakers. You'd expect that those Lakers forwards to absolutely dominate that. And we simply didn't see that this game. In fact, we saw Whiteside have potentially the best game that he's had for... God knows, maybe a year and a half since maybe uh, he was playing well for the uh, Miami Heat. And so, what we really need to see from these Lakers, if you would agree with me, Kamel, is we need to see Anthony Davis dominate that matchup the way he's expected to dominate that matchup.
0: Yeah, he needs to play five, right? He needs to, you know, get, I mean, he was the Lakers' top, top scorer with 28. But he needs to really play underneath the rim. He needs to dominate. Yesterday there was one matchup with Lillard where he couldn't even back down. Uh, I believe Lillard what six one. We couldn't back him down. It was sort of quite a strange performance from AD actually.
1: Yeah, and we did seem struggling before this game as well. Um, into the games leading up to this, he was uh, much more passive than we've seen him all regular season long. So I hope that we don't see that kind of passivity uh, in the rest of this series and. Uh, one more matchup, which is quite interesting. You also have Carmelo Anthony somewhat on um, Carl Kuzma for a lot of possessions as well. So that's going to be a really interesting matchup because Carmelo has been making clutch threes all throughout the fourth quarters of uh, the bubble games and indeed I uh, made a really crucial one in this game as well. So again, you'd think Kuzma was, with his youth should dominate that matchup. But with the kind of form Anthony's in, maybe... That's a fairly even matchup as well. So this series is really going to go to the wire, I think.
0: Well, absolute credits to the Blazers. And as their coach said, if you're there, you may as well compete. So that'll be a very interesting series to keep an eye, and especially one that most thought would be a sweep. Another one a lot of people thought would be a 4-0 was the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Orlando Magic. And no one expected the Magic to win 122-110. Now, I know that they're technically at home every single game. And, you know, it's, it's their backyard, basically. But really, they beat the Bucks. Giannis dropped 31, and they still beat them. You know, you've got Bledsoe 15, George Hill 16, Middleton 14, a little bit weak there. But really, you wouldn't expect Nikola Vucevic to absolutely dominate. It really reinforces the Magic's uh, reputation now, of course, the <sighs> first round last year. So it in game one Magic are unstoppable. Um, again, sort of, <laughs> are the Bucks sweating over the win? <laughs> like it was for the Raptors, just a blink.
1: Look, Mel, it's been you going into these uh, playoff games. You've been talking about how off the Bucks have looked. And I've been the one to staunchly disagree with that. I think they've just kind of been feeling their way into it and they have still been playing with intensity. What was extremely worrying about this game, it was the Orlando Magic's interior defence against Yannis. Don't be fooled by Yannis's stats. He shot 12 or 25 from the floor, which is, you know, very, very efficient. He had 31 points, but when it came to going on the inside, he was... Again, not stopped, but he was slowed down. He actually had, he made a lot of those shots from either the mid range or, you know, around the perimeter. Um, so he had a very good shooting game, which you shouldn't expect him to have that every game in terms of shooting mid rangers, those kind of shots. Um, imagine this Orlando Magic team had Jonathan Isaac, who of course got unfortunately injured. Um, that's just another very uh, key defensive piece that the Magic would have to stop Yanis. And so, um, they're not only missing him, they're missing Eric Gordon as well. And so a Magic team with arguably, who, who don't have two of their best three players, managed to beat this Bucks team by 12 points and shooting the ball very well. They shot the free ball at a 39% clip in this game. They shot 50% from the floor, 90% from the 3 throw line. We've talked about how this Magic team is an elite defensive team. So if they can turn up on the offensive end as well, I think, again, this series everyone probably expected a blowout. I expected a 4-1 win for the Bucs, but again, it could be a lot closer than we all imagined.
0: Well, on the offensive end, it's a very interesting point. Uh, Vucevic last year against the Raptors, of course, was shut down by Mark. This game, he scored 35 points and got 14 rebounds. He was unable to be stopped by any of the Bucs' big men, whether it be the Lopez brothers, or really, anyone else. The Bucs could not contain Nicola Bucci. I won't. No. that, you know, Marcus of course, is a very underrated player, especially on the defensive end. I think he's one of those players who's been called underrated actually so many times that, you know, people are still now do recognize like, yeah. yeah. the way he was able to stop boots I do worry for the Bucks going forward now. I see this going to six games at the minimum. Of course, we might be proven very wrong today. We'll see the game yeah. later. I see this we'll going... We'll have to see. Anyway.
1: I think without Aaron Gordon, it could even be a blessing to uh, Sky. Because Aaron Gordon's had, or had a very up and down regular season. He was continually poor on the offensive end. So giving the ball, putting it in the, the ball in the hands of Vucevic... Um, again, who had 24 shots to get his 35 points. Again, he's getting so many touches. Um, Markel Fultz actually shot the ball well. He even had Terence Ross shoot 7 of 13 from the field. Um, DJ Augustine had 11 assists. So you could just see on the offensive side of the floor, there's just a lot more synergy than you, have, you would have normally. And I think not having Aaron Gordon there, who's struggled so much this season, again, like I said at the start, it could be a blessing in disguise.
0: Well, one-team offense wasn't quite enough. It was the opening game of the playoffs, uh, and it wasn't enough for the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell dropping 57 in an overtime loss to the Denver Nuggets. It was just not enough against the likes of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. He scored thirty-nine, thirty-six, 36, sorry, and 29, respectively. Also saw points off the 19 from Jeremy Grant and 14 from Monte Morris. Um, this was a very, very cool matchup because, of course, these two teams rely a lot on their home floor, the Denver, yep. more than the Jazz. But sort of it's a very, um, commentator, I'm not sure if it was Van Gundy yesterday, who was talking about how within the bubble, everything is taken away and the only thing that matters is basketball. And we saw that perfectly in this game. We saw some brilliant plays on both ends. I don't know what you thought of this game, I think in the end the, the Nuggets' quality, their quality and depth just showed and it's something you talked about last week's podcast but it's their depth and their ability to squat the bench that showed in the end
1: That's exactly it Kamel. the two things we need to, well, the one thing we need to look out for is depth here because when we look at the Utah Jazz of course we all know they lost the second best player in the league, they lost Bojan Bogdanovic for these playoffs. They also lost Mark uh, Conney because um, he had to attend the birth of his child. And so he's looking to miss the first two games. And so we have that on the Utah end. And we also have the Denver Nuggets. They, they are missing uh, both Will Barton and Gary Harris. So two of their best regards are out. When we talk about depth, who's come in for the Nuggets? You've had Monte Morris coming off the bench. Uh, for them as a point guard, who's been extremely, extremely, well, played extremely respectively during the bubble. He's really stepped up. He had 29 minutes in this game, 14 points. He just has, you know, filled that position very, very well. The same with um, PJ Dozier. PJ Dozier's had important minutes during the bubble and he's, again, paid respectively despite, um, you know, being, this being the early part of his career. Whereas, For the Jazz, who do you have as replacements? Donovan Mitchell actually played the point guard for this game, uh, point guard position, which is, again, part of the reason why he got 57 points, because his usage was just absolutely ridiculous. But instead, the Utah Jazz, when they could have chosen to start Jordan Clarkson, they wanted him to lead the bench. Uh, So it was an interesting decision. He ended up playing 39 minutes off the bench. But what did that mean? They ended up playing Jawan Morgan who is in his first year for the Jazz and he went undrafted and his season stats, I'll read out for you Kamel: 1.7 points and 1.4 rebounds, 2019-2020 20, 20, 20 season, playing 6.4 minutes a game and in this game he ended up playing 25 minutes and he was a starter for the Jazz team. Not to say he, that he played poorly, he did only go one or five from the field but this matchup was all about, or this game in particular was all about, like you just said, it was Denver's the strength and depth. And that is why I believe we saw the Jazz actually leading going into the fourth quarter. And it looked like they were going to take this game. But the reason you could see Murray explode, especially in the fourth quarter and in overtime, he ended up scoring 20 points in both periods, was because those guys were more fresh. Um, they had more energies because they could rely on their teammates. Donovan Mitchell had to carry his team and yet they could still not carry this win across the finish line. So depth is going to be the biggest issue I think for this Jazz team. It's going to be the biggest factor for both of these teams and that's why I still predict the Nuggets to uh, win this series 4-1 as I did before the playoffs.
0: Wow well I was just taking a look at my own bracket and I uh, also predicted the Nuggets but I predicted to go all the way to seven games. Um, you watch the. You took a particular interest in the next match up, the Pacers against the Heat. How many games is this going to go to? The Heat, of course, taking game one, one hundred and thirteen one hundred and one, mainly thanks to Jimmy Butts, who, um, of course, had a very bizarre four four Raptors in the uh, game when the basketball came back. But he turned up. He turned up on Monday, didn't he? Yes. Um...
1: Very interesting game, Camel. I actually had this series going seven games uh, going into it. What, what did you predict going into
0: it? in five.
1: in five. And that's the thing, Kamel. That I'm sure that prediction was made, knowing that Sabonis is likely going to be out for the series.
0: Yeah, indeed. Indeed. I mean, um, from what I gathered, this... Yes. I obviously... Oladipo only played nine minutes in this game. He just scored yeah. four rebounds, zero assists. He's their main talisman, and without him and Sabonis, I don't see, even with the likes of Doug buckets coming off the bench, in TJ Warren's bizarrely excellent form, which we've mentioned before, I just don't see how they can get past the strength and depth of this Miami side, uh, with the likes of Bam and Jimmy playing so well. And of course, Dragic, bizarrely, I didn't expect him to really be a factor in playoffs, but twenty four points six rebounds five assists, arguably the heat's second best player and again he stepped it up in the bubble so he meanwhile i've got, ex- got players on very good form and of course that's not even mentioning the addition of Andre Igadola um so i that, that, that's why I'm back in the heat all the way yeah. the game. I'm back in the heat all the way you got anything that's else?
1: fair yeah. Look, kamel th- those are all really good points you made. But you're wrong with some of the points he made there. Because firstly, I don't think it should be classified as T, uh, bizarre, TJ Warren's form. Because it's not like it came out of absolutely nowhere. Of course, he paid considerably better than he did during the season. But again, he's had to step up because they don't have Sabonis. And Sabonis was contributing 20 points a game. So his usage rate has just gone up. Because, he, of course, he, he still averaged 20 points during the regular season. So it's not like um, he didn't see the ball at all, or he wasn't capable of scoring like he has been scoring. Um, potentially, it's a poor matchup for TJ Warren and uh, Jimmy Butler. Of course, they've had a lot of beef and rivalry over the years, which people like to highlight going into this matchup. But uh, that's one area which I would disagree with, uh, what you said, Camille, uh, about his performance being bizarre. Same for Goran Dragic, because in my opinion, Goran Dragic is, again, also been a stud for the past, God knows how long, like five, six years. Uh, Always an extremely intelligent and efficient player, uh, especially offensively. So it's nice to see that he's actually got a bigger role for this team. However, I would say this as a last point in this game. Indiana lost... Oladipo to an iron injury in this game, Kamel, in the first quarter. And this was the first quarter in which they were up. I believe they had a good chance of actually taking this game if he'd actually stayed in the game. Hopefully Oladipo will be back from that iron injury. And um, if that is the case, again, I still see this series going six or seven games because despite missing, again, Oladipo and... Um, Oladipo and... Who did I just say there, Kamel? Uh, Sabonis. Um, they still kept it very close until the fourth quarter, in which the Miami Heat then pulled away. And why did the Heat pull away? It was uh, due part in thanks to Jimmy Butler's two three pointers which he made. Which uh, just to put that into context, Jimmy Butler hadn't made a three pointer since March third. Of course, we had the uh, you know coronavirus period as well, but he he's also been shooting twenty five percent from the three point line this season. So that's what they needed to get over the line against the Pacers team without their best two players. That should tell you enough how dangerous this Pacers team still is. They still have great depth, and, and therefore, I still expect this series to be close.
0: Well, as with the Buck series, we will know a lot more after tonight's games. Uh, with that in mind, and with the Raptors game starting about an hour, let's move straight on back to the West. Uh, the Clippers were quite a controversial win over the Mavericks. This game was probably defined not by Kawhi's excellent player performance, but actually uh, by two players: uh, Luka Doncic, forty-two, I think that's the record points scored uh, in someone's play- in an NBA player's playoff debut, and Kristaps uh, Porzingis's controversial ejection from the game. Now, without going too much into the game itself, yes or no, should he have been ejected for what he did?
1: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What? Camille, did you see the
0: ejection? I did, I did. It was soft. It was soft. Why do you have to ask me that question then? I want I, This is this is a response I wanted to evoke. That's why.
1: What is going on? Look, I understand that was a second technical. Fine. I thought when I first saw it, I didn't realize it was a second technical. I thought he just got a straight ejection for that, and I thought, no, no, so, this is clearly the referees have been bribed. Okay, fine. It was his second technical, but. In what universe was that a technical? He
0: just pushed him. I've never seen a player get a technical for a push in my life before. Yep, I mean this is this is player ball. This is intense. Uh, players like LeBron rallied against it. Luca was completely mystified after the game. The but- Mavericks
1: were up, Camille. They were up. Imagine how the game would have ended if, Luke, uh, if Chris if Kristaps had stayed in the game.
0: Hopefully, we'll see that. Uh, hopefully, we'll see that today. Really. Um, it's, got, it's, got, it's going to be a really interesting series, that, because Mavericks are yes. absolutely elite players in Chris Stapps and Donchich, who doesn't seem to be afraid to show up on the big stage. Um, but of course, on the other end, you've got PG and Kawhi finally playing together and combining 56 points. Um, back to the last Eastern game, uh, Celtics versus the 76 This is important, of course, because it will, it's who the Raptors will play in the next round, should they uh, get past the Nets. Um, again, it was the Bubble duo who have been so elite in Orlando, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, combining for 61 points and just downing a Philly side who are hurt. You know they're missing Ben Simmons big time, and it, it showed. I know the likes of Alec Burks, Shake Milton, they played well. Even Josh Richardson did a good job, and of course Joel Embiid led that side with 26 points and 16 rebounds. But it, it, they, they need that. They need that big playmaker back. And I think yeah. uh, it, it, well, it, this will be a competitive series. This will go to six or seven guaranteed. But we need Simmons back to game in order to make that happen.
1: And, Camille, did you actually see Stephen A's rant here? Because he talked about how Jarl and B, after starting 5 of 5 in this game, just I think he got 10 more shots for the rest of the game. So it's starting 5 5 in the first quarter. He then got 10 more shots in the proceeding. Three quarters, and he, he was asking the question, why was that the case? Why did um, Embiid go through so many long stretches in that game where he barely got any touches? He was asking the question, why has Brett? Why is Brett Brown just basically not giving him the ball in the post? And it was interesting to see Brett Brown's interview after because he actually talked about how because it became predictable with Embiid, that's why uh, the Sixers actually struggled because the Celtics then double teamed. And Embiid and Embiid struggled in the double team and therefore had to pass the ball. Um, and so, my question to you is: Should it just be you know giving it to Embiid in the post and him paying bully ball because again he's against a six eight Daniel Tice who's a starting center for the Boston Celtics? Or do you think uh, the Sixers should still focus on like a team ball approach?
0: When Simmons is out, you've got to use. You, you, you can use an abuse. Well, Embiid against Daniel Tides. It's not like they're facing like, a great defensive centre like Al Horford or something, who, of course, is now, <laughs> now playing for the <laughs> Sixth. Yeah. Brett Brown, last year, there were calls for him to be fired after the lot of one. Of course, that was very unlucky and based on, and you know, if Kawhi had missed that shot, uh, Philly could have well been going to the ECF and possibly beyond. This year, though, Brett Brown is being exposed as a unproven coach that cannot cut it in postseason. And this requires a lot of more conversation a lot more conversation. Of course, I could be completely disproven within the next week or so. but that ends my thoughts on this game. All I'm going to say is I'm going to wait for Simmons to come back before yeah. Um, And the final matchup. This was last night, uh, James Harden predictably dropping 37 in a 123 108 victory over the OKC thunder. Uh, any particular thoughts on this game? For me, I put it, it's number eight on our list because it was pretty unremarkable. Yeah, there was good offense on both sides. We saw Harden go off. We saw Harden play very well. Even Jeff Green contributing on the other side. Chris Paul uh, almost going for a triple-double, one assist away from it. And uh, Galinari lighting up from beyond the perimeter. But apart from that, nothing too remarkable about this game, in my opinion.
1: Um. I would stick with that. I think it is very interesting that or a little bit surprising that the Thunder didn't overcome a Rockets team missing Russell Westbrook, of course. Um, they would know that with him looking like he's going to come back, really, they had to take this game, or at least they have to take the next game because if they then go down to oh, without Ross, that's you know the best chance that they had during the season gone. And so, the next game will be extremely crucial for them. One thing again that surprised me is just how little Stephen Adams was getting the ball in the post. He did end up with 17 points, uh, shooting seven of 13 from the floor again, grabbing 12 rebounds. He had an extremely solid game, Stephen Adams usually does. But when you're playing against a team without a center and you have somebody as strong as Stephen Adams, and Again, I don't know if you've seen you know, his offensive development uh, this year in particular, Camel, but I think, for example, his touch around the rim is fantastic. Um, okay, maybe he doesn't have 100 post moves in his arsenal, but I really like how he plays in the post. He plays it very intelligently. And so I would like to see the OKC uh, Thunder get the ball more to Adams in the post. And there, he's also a very capable passer as well. He can pass out if he gets double-team, for example, to the open three-point shooter. Which uh, And that three-point shooting, the Thunder also tend to rely on as well. So it'll mean the quality of the three-point shots they get goes up. So I hope in the next game, Billy Donovan decides to utilise Adams more in the
0: post. Great. And with that apt analysis, we want to leave the conversation here. I hope you've enjoyed this rapid opening game of the playoffs wrap we're going to try and do this every two games until the first round is completed and then temper it just a little bit uh, but yeah as always make sure you subscribe to this podcast give us five stars and tune in every two days because you know no one's really got time to watch 10 hours of basketball a day except us of course so uh, we'll get <laughs> highs and lows of every single round of games. Well, thanks very much for joining me. Peace out.